John chapter number 5 and verse number 1. I was studying this a few weeks ago and just had these verses on my heart. And as I was thinking about this, as it relates to preaching a message and bringing out a point or bringing out the, the, the main message or the focus of what God's saying, Brother Jesse, in my heart, almost skipped over verse number one to really get to the meat of what I was thinking. But I'm going to read verse number one and I'll come back to it in just a minute. Verse number one says, after this... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There's at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. These lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, And trouble the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith to him, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, And said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Back in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him lie, knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? And if God will help me this morning, I want to expound these scriptures and I want to talk to you on the subject of this crippled man's day of decision. This man did not just simply have an emotional experience. The Word of God said after that he was healed and the Jews asked him who it was that told him to take up his bed and walk. The man wished not who it was. Jesus 
conveying himself away, a crowd being in that place. And the Word of God says that intellectually, in his mind, this man had been healed and had been helped, but in his mind, Brother Tim, he didn't really comprehend even what had taken place. Salvation's not what a lot of people think it is. It's not about some great, high, elated, emotional experience. It's about simple, childlike faith in your heart towards God, a willingness in your heart to repent and just trust in Jesus. That's why a lot of folks miss this thing. They're looking for something, and they don't even know what they're looking for. And a lot of God's people get real messed up in their heart, in their mind, because as they try to go back and look and try to figure this thing out and twist eyes and scrutinize all about their salvation, basically, for the most part, all people can go back to is that one-time experience in that one place. That's important. You must have a time. You must have a place. But there's more to it than that. You can forget the time. You can forget the place, but you will not forget the change that God brings about in your life. And you see, the Word of God says that Jesus told him to sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. What would be worse than this man being crippled? I'll tell you what would be worse, being in hell. I'm allergic to fire, especially burning in it. And what Jesus was saying here was, you you look at this story and you say, what a magnificent picture, what a high-elated emotional experience this man had. But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ made it plain that you can have a great big shebang of an experience and still die and go to hell. That ain't what salvation is. Because some of you, have really truly got saved by the grace of God. But when you got saved, it wasn't just that thunder and lightning experience. Some of you did. Thank God. I'm glad you did. But that's not what it's about. It's about faith. It's about trusting Jesus Christ. And I ain't going to complicate it no more than that. It's about trusting Him. There's a proof of salvation. The proof is a profound change. Now, we know there was a public testimony. We know he carried his bed and everywhere he did, that was a testimony. But as well as being a testimony, that bed is a picture and a type of the scars on the life of a human being that is there throughout eternity to remind you of where God brought you from. Brother Tim, I've got scars in my heart. I've got scars in my mind. I've got scars in my body, Miss Amanda, that I cannot make go away. Brother Allen, there's certain tunes that I hear a little bit of a tune and I can't help it, brother. My mind goes back to some old juke joint in some old place and there's scars in me that I can't control. They're there. It's a reminder that God brought me from somewhere. And this bed was a reminder that God had brought him from somewhere. But if I see anything in this story, I see a profound change. But I see a permanent change. The Lord Jesus Christ said, don't sin no more lest a worse thing come upon thee. And what the Lord Jesus was saying is if I'm glad you got some outward help, 
but I want you to have inward help. I want you to get the big picture here, son. I don't want you to just get the illustration. He was the illustration. He said, I want you to get what I'm talking about here. And there was a public testimony, but there was something that took place in him that was a permanent change. And you see, you find him, first of all, when Jesus came back to him, where did you find him at? Find him at the temple. Found him at the house of God worshiping. I'm going to make you a promise this morning. If you've ever been born of the Spirit of God, God gives you a heart for the local church. you got a family. You want to be with them. I realize, I understand with all of my heart that some of you have jobs that get you messed up in your time schedule. I realize there's sometimes you can't help it. You just can't be here. But if you can be here and you just don't come just because you got something else you'd like to do. I'm, I, I believe if I was you, I'd make me another lap around the cross. I think you missed something first time. Because God gives his children a love for the church because there's a thread that weaves us together because we came out of the same womb. And I need y'all folks. I, listen, I love y'all. You're my family. And i got to be around you. There's something that exhorts me just getting around the children of God. It's already been good to be at church. It blessed my heart here. these boys pray this morning. I'm telling you what, that's done something for me just to know somebody else is getting a Holy God. There was something changed in him, and it was not just a profound change. It was a permanent change. I've seen a whole, whole bunch of this just have a big hoopla or something other and then blow out and fizzle out a few days later. But as I get in this message this morning, I secondly see when you back up to the beginning, the providence of God. Boy, I see that everywhere I look. I watch the providence of God as God brought a young man to this very room yesterday for me to give him my testimony. God did that. God providentially did. Did you know God has providentially brought some of you right here this morning? And if you're really saved, born of the Spirit of God, as you look back at the providential hand of God, what in the name of heaven, Megan Sweet, would have ever brought you from all the places that you have been in the world to bring you right here, right now, for this time and this place is nothing more than the providential hand of God. You mark it down. God is so sovereignly in control. God knows how to run an intersection together. And as I thought about this, And I wondered as I read verse number one, as I studied this several weeks ago, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And I looked at that verse and I thought, well, it ought to be self-evident. This is Jesus doing the talking here. This is Jesus healing a man. Everybody ought to know Jesus was there. But you know, if it hadn't been for verse number one, the Lord Jesus Christ has been in Galilee. And God commanded that a male Jew come to the temple on three different occasions in a year to present himself. And this, no doubt, was the Passover feast. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to the command of the Father, was coming to Jerusalem to worship to the house of God, just like God said, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. And I thought about this verse. And how Jesus came. And if it had not been for verse number one, this morning the title of my message might very well be just another day in Jerusalem. 
But this was not just another day in Jerusalem. This was a special day for this man who for 38 years lay in poverty in loneliness, in desperation, and in despair. Today was his day. Today was his day of decision. Not just any day. 38 years he's not had his opportunity. But today is his day. It's the day of decision for a crippled man. I see the place of the intersection The Word of God said that there was a multitude of impotent folk. And then he gives three different classes of impotent folk that was by the pool that day. Number one was blind. The state of nature of those who were ignorant of or blind to everything that's spiritual. With no true knowledge of God, no true knowledge of Christ and the work of salvation. Blind to the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Blind to the Spirit of God and the work of the Holy Ghost. Blind to the truth of the gospel and the power of God. And blind to the damnation of sinners. Plagued by the deception of their own hearts. Miss Nita, that very well describes a group of people that I see in every Baptist church that I ever go into that are blind to spiritual things. I mean, they come in, talk the talk, they can walk the walk, they can sing the songs, they can pray the prayer. Well, I know lost folks that can pray, and it seems like they're just praying a hole through into heaven. They've learned to do that, but they're blind. And they cannot see. The word of God said there was halt. Halt means instability or unstable with hesitation. Someone whose halt is someone who has an exceeding bad limp. They can still walk. But it's so pitiful to watch them walk. That's what the word halt means. But it has to do with someone who hesitates, Brother Jesse, in their steps. They so plan it out. They're so methodical. They so think about what they're doing. And they have to put so much effort into taking the next step that they hesitate. And you see the suspense concerning spiritual matters. And double-minded individuals desiring spiritual things, but they want to achieve them by carnal means. James 1.5 said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What's it mean to be double-minded, Brother Mark? It means to have some spiritual thoughts on one hand and say, I need to help God out on the other hand. And that's where a lot of lost folks are. They're halt. And they stand back in hesitation and indecision. And they can't make the right decision because they want to follow spiritual things. But all they know is their carnal means and their carnal methods. And they're trying to do spiritual things by carnal methods. The Word of God said there were those who were withered. 
That literally means the sinew has shrunk and is arid. You study this word in the Greek language, it means to be dry and have little or no moisture. You already realize in the Word of God, moisture is a type of the Holy Ghost and moisture is a type of the Word of God. But if you study that word that's rendered here withered, it has to do with dry and hard-packed ground, Brother Mark. It pictures a dry, hard-packed heart full of bitterness and full of strife and hatred and envy and emulation and all these things and lacking any tenderness lacking any pliability. But every individual represented here in this list are L-O-S-T lost, unregenerate, with a total inability to help themselves. We see here a man under the curse of the law, man under the curse of sin and death, man that cannot do enough good works to redeem himself man who cannot do enough good deeds to reconcile himself to God. And that is exactly precisely this morning where every unregenerate individual stands is totally helpless, totally hopeless, and without some kind of a divine miracle from the hand of God, you cannot help yourself. I love you this morning. I care about you. But I'll just be honest with you. I can't help myself, Brother Tim. I can't make myself spiritual, Miss Amanda. I can't make myself do right. I surely won't make you do right. I surely don't know how to make y'all do anything. Listen, I put barricades in the yard, and I still can't keep y'all from walking in the grass. I can't do nothing. But for anybody to get any help, Brother Mark, it takes the divine hand of an almighty God to do it. And that's exactly what Jesus has been showing this man for 30 and 8 years as he sits by the pool. God's drawn him an illustration of that angel that comes down and troubles the water. And apart from a divine intervention from a holy God and a miracle of mercy, they're hopeless. They're helpless. But we're talking about the place of the intersection. It's the pool of Bethesda. By definition, the word Bethesda means the house of mercy. That's a good place to get some help, Brother Jesse. Every last one of them are candidates for mercy. It's got five porches. Five in your Bible is a number of grace. They're in a good place to get some help because Jesus came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And I see in this story the perversion of religion. The Word of God said they were by the sheep market. That brings into view the religious hypocrisy and the perversion of true worship in that day by the buying and selling of the sacrificial animals. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the blood sacrifice of an innocent little lamb or some other little animal was the picture the foreshadowing and the type of the blessed Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being the Passover lamb and being our sacrifice. But now in this place, the priest, the Levites, and all the temple officers, and the religious leaders have made merchandise of the holy things of God. They've extorted money from the people by rejecting their sacrifices and forcing them to buy sacrificial animals from a market that they controlled. If you study Jewish history, you find that between the Sanhedrin Council 
and the Jewish high priest, they controlled the sheep market. This is most likely the area that Nehemiah referred to as the sheep gate through which passed into the temple area a 36 or 37 acre courtyard around the temple. This was the gate and the place through which those sacrificial animals came. And for 38 years, what he watched was crooked commerce. Instead of seeing true religion, he saw a bunch of hypocrisy. He saw a bunch of religious hypocrites, Brother Till, that didn't know anything about God. All they knew about was the ritual and the routine and how to make a dollar off the church. That's what we see a whole lot of today. And a lot of folks are so sick of what they've seen at the so-called house of God. They wouldn't come near it with a 10-foot pole. And that's what he saw, the perversion of religion. John chapter number 2, verse number 13, the Jews' Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. The sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, I, I've heard this said all my life, and there's some things I really don't like, and, uh, and you use some wisdom. But I see some preachers that bring a book table from time to time in the church and may have some tapes or Bibles or preaching material and that kind of thing. I don't have a problem with that as long as it's in its proper order and proper place. Now, some people have a dying duck fit over that and say you ought not be selling nothing in the house of God. If you want to be in the context, Brother Allen, of this scripture, they were selling the sacrifice. The problem Jesus had, Brother Mark, was they had so degraded the sacrifice. They had so degraded the Son of God that they were selling the sacrifices at the temple. When you see this, it was an amazing display of the grace of God that right in the middle of all this religious hypocrisy and right in the middle of this ugly patch of iniquity that the Lord Jesus in His tenderness and mercy and grace was willing to come right in the middle of a mess and save a soul. Ain't that good? Then I see the provocation of a sinner. The word provoke means to challenge. It means to excite and it means to call forth to action. It literally means that Jesus Christ brought this man to a place where Jesus demanded a decision from him. Jesus demands a decision that reflects human responsibility. The question to this man and is his heart was never, could Jesus fix me? Could Jesus save? Would Jesus save? Does Jesus really want to save a sinner? That's not the question. That's never the issue whatsoever. If you're here this morning and you're lost and you're unregenerate without God, the question for one minute is not can Jesus save you? That ain't a problem. The question is not will Jesus save you? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That ain't the problem. The question is, are you willing to let him fix you? And you see the provocation of sinners 
Will you trust me or will you delay until the opportunity's passed? This is not a new concept to this man because the Word of God said at a certain season and not all the time, that's why you can't get saved just any time you want to. You get saved in a certain season. When do you get saved? When the angel's troubling the water. That's a picture of conviction, of the drawing, working of the Holy Ghost of God. And this man well understood that when that water was troubled, the only ones that got help was the first ones to get in. That means if you're lollygagging around in the back of the room talking and swapping pocket knives, you ain't getting in. This is serious business, Brother Mark. You better be paying attention when it's time to get in the water. You better be ready to get in the water. That does not imply, although it's, it somewhat looks like only one person could get healed. That's not what it says. If you study that scripture, it means that just the first ones that got in. But the ones that lingered and waited wasn't getting in. And it's a picture of someone standing halt in indecision and unable to make that choice in their own heart. Do I really want to surrender? Do I really want God? Or do I really want to play in my sin a little while longer? The principle was there that only those who promptly responded ever got healed. The troubling of the water represents conviction. When Jesus spoke to this man's heart, his soul went to churning. You see, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Neither is salvation, friend. In your carnal mind, you may think you got it figured out how it's going to be like, but you ain't got it figured out. They didn't have it figured out. But, buddy, he, he was looking for some bubbles come up out of that pool. There's something bubbling up in his heart right now. That's what's going on here. And when God begins to do that, you know what's going on. You know when God's dealing with you. And this man's troubled in his soul. And the natural course of man travels the path of least resistance. And man begins immediately to offer excuses for why he's in the position he's in. And this man begins to say, well, when the water's troubled... There's no man to help me in. Well, the man's standing there. This is the man. It's the God man. Guess what? The excuses ain't going to hold up no more. And I meet people all the time that are so full of excuses for why they can't get saved. Well, I get saved, but I can't live it. Well, that's exactly right. You can't live it. The Holy Ghost must live it through you. And until you're willing to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and allow Him His rightful place on the throne of your heart, you can't live it. But you let Him live it through you. That's what this Christian life's about, Brother Ricky, is letting Jesus do the work of Christ through you. You can't live it. Well, that about tripped you up for a while thinking, I can't live it. There's a whole lot of you that probably tripped you up for a while thinking, I can't live it. Well, I couldn't live it, Brother Jesse. How in the name of heaven could I change my old wicked habits? I couldn't. But Christ could. But Jesus ain't interested in any of the excuses. But Jesus sharply looks at him and provokes this crippled man with a commandment and said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus said, Okay. This is your opportunity. This is your day. Get up. 
That's pretty simple, ain't it? He had a choice to make at this point. Brother Tim, he could have sat there and said, but you don't understand, I'm crippled. But Jesus done provoked him. He called him to move. He said, get up. And at this point, there's a choice. And if there's any one thing God told me to tell you this morning, there are men and there are women sitting in this room today and you're making a choice. Some of you are going to make the right one and some of you might make the wrong one. But God demands a decision. And here's what people say, Brother Jesse. Well, I'm just not going to just do anything right now. I'm not going to make a decision right now. Uh Uh-uh. That is a decision. That's saying, no, God, no. I don't want you. Don't bother me. Don't mess with me. Leave me alone. You say, no, preacher, I'm not saying that. Oh, yes, you are. You're saying, God, leave me alone. I'll do what I want to do. Don't tell me nothing. God, come back some other time. I'll deal with you later. This is the certain season, Brother Tim. This is his day. He didn't get a day every day. For 38 years, he's laid there and he ain't had a day. For 38 years, he ain't had a chance. He ain't had an opportunity. He couldn't help himself. And this whole thing is a picture of how helpless a man is. It does not make any difference what good deeds he tries to do. He cannot keep the law. He cannot keep the commandments of God. He cannot redeem himself. He cannot justify himself before God. And if he don't get some help, he's damned and he's doomed. And God just don't come by to help you every day. God ain't just reaching his hand out to you every day. And when your day comes along, you better make your decision. You make it now. He provoked him. He called him to move with the troubling of water. With a simple call to action, he removes every excuse. And the human responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of this crippled man. Will you repent? And will you respond to the drawing of the Holy Ghost of God? That's what this thing's about, youngins. Listen to me. What this thing is all about is us trying to persuade sinners to yield to the drawing of the Holy Ghost of God. Show them how good it is when you give up and surrender. I have hard days, but I've got something worth having. And what God wants us to do is let Him live through us so we can show this world there is something worth having. Betty, when I was... 22, 23, 24 years old, I was so proud I could strut sitting down. I needed to be slapped, Miss Shauna. Somebody probably should have slapped me down. Brother Jesse, I was so full of myself. But I'm going to tell you, when God started troubling my soul, and I started looking around at what really matters and what's really important, I got to finding out who I thought I was and what I thought I was doing in life really didn't measure up. I was miserable and I needed some help. There was a time to make a decision in my life. 1 Kings chapter number 18 and verse number 20. The word of God said, So Ahab sent unto the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. This is that great day when Elijah, the man of God, stood upon Mount Carmel. There's the 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of the grove standing there. And all the children of Israel standing there and Elijah's about to pray that famous 63-word prayer and call down fire from heaven. 
And Elijah came unto the people and said, How long? Halt. There's that word again. It means to struggle and to stumble. And it means to try to make a decision, but you can't make a decision. And he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Miss Diane, they thought they wasn't making a decision. They needed to be influenced. They needed to be convinced. They were about to get their influence. They were about to get their convincing. But you know what Elijah said? He said, make a choice. The choice is here this morning. If Jesus Christ is Lord, if He really is God, if He really is going to judge sin, if He really is going to hold man accountable for his deeds, his actions, his attitudes, if He's really going to hold man accountable for nailing him to a rugged cross, if you really believe what this Word says, that one day man is going to stand before a holy God in judgment, if you really believe that, then follow Christ. Make a choice. And if you don't believe that, then follow yourself. Do whatever it is you want to do. But you're going to make a decision. God's going to make you. God demands it. Brother Mark, he demanded a decision from this fellow. Joshua 24, 14, the word of God said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the God's Little G, which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt to serve and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. You know what? I've come to the conclusion this morning. I can't make you do anything. I can't make anybody do anything. But Brother Jesse, it's for me and my house. If God will be my helper, I'm going to serve the Lord. And you may not do right, but I sure hope you see me try to do right the best I know how. That don't mean I ain't human. That don't mean I won't stumble, fall, make a fool out of myself. I don't mean that. But you're going to watch me try. And I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you this just as plain as I know how to tell you. When Jesus told him to sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. You know, one of the things that really brings out a child of God is the perseverance of the saints. Brother Tim, you stumble, you fall down, you make a fool out of yourself. You feel like you're about that tall. But while you're laying down there in the dirt, you say, God, please help me. That makes a difference, don't it? I don't mean you don't mess up. But when you do, you know you've got to get back up again. You know you've got to get going again. You know you cannot just lay there. You've got to get up. Decision time. You say you're born of the Spirit of God. Are you tired of the devil kicking you? It's a whole lot easier to get kicked when you're laying down. Ask God to give you grace to stand up. And go brush you off, clean you up, kiss your boo-boos, and help you get back on the way you need to be going.
you're lost, you've got a decision you've got to make. Weigh it out if you must. Do whatever it is you need to do. You will make a decision. And you say, Preacher Mike, you ain't pushing me into doing nothing. No, it ain't Preacher Mike. It ain't got nothing to do with Preacher Mike. Preacher Mike's just the messenger. You don't cuss the mailman when he brings you your power bill, do you? That ain't his problem. This ain't Preacher Mike's doing, Brother Jesse. This is God's doing. And God's giving folks an opportunity. You're at a pool of Bethesda. You're at a house of mercy. You're at a place you can get some help. Do you want any? Do you even care? There's folks so blind they can't even see their need. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I've done my best. I've delivered the message today. Well, I thank God for giving me liberty to preach, giving you ears to hear. Ain't it amazing how much stuff's in the Word of God and you study it and you find new things and you see it all fresh and new and it's just glorious what this book does for your soul. It's glorious what the preaching of the Word of God can do to feed your soul. And it'd be something you've heard a thousand times before. But that's the power of the Word of God. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the resurrection power that brings a dead man to life, that raises a crippled man up and says, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. When you believe that Word, heads are bowed and eyes are closed.